Welcome back to Mark's Madness, now part of Chunkaluta. Hello. <laughs> I'm Paul. No, yeah, Jimmy Neutron. Ring any bells? I, I just I think- dropped my fan, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> yeah, um, it fell out of the window. I was like, fuck it, just take it out. <laughs> Um, anyway, welcome back to Mark's Madness. We read books. Um, I'm David. I'm Shimani too. David, where you been? Uh, well, I, I I ran down to Alabama with my family, so we had we had a reason to do that. So I imagined actually running. Yeah, you know, physically, it's yeah. <laughs> we did. We, we were driving down and did get caught in a, a hailstorm for like two hours, and I had to help my daughter find one of those tornado eh? outside bathrooms with was- the key. And so was we were it like, running around in a building in the pouring rain, some little wing shop in Tennessee. It was interesting. Was it like tornado weather? Uh, it, well, there was no tor- actual tornado, but okay. it was like that level of, of thunder. Well, yeah, once you have hail, I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was not fun to be in. It's July <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. almost. <laughs> I think by the time this episode comes out, yeah, it's July. So. <laughs> yeah. The weather, uh, the weather was rough basically the entire time until about Wednesday, and then it cleared up. Well, so. better you went to Alabama than I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I try to stay out of the South, but you know, I hear it's not as bad of a place as it's people say it is. When when you go when you go person to person, um, it's it's not so bad. The politics down there, of course, are horrendous, which causes immense poverty. Um, but yeah, the, I just know like Alabama's like deep south. <laughs> oh, it 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 is. It is. Don't want anybody um, hearing my name. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I get to skid by a little bit from being a white person, but also like people forget well, if how my much name was like John, you know, it could be like, oh, I'm just high, you know, yeah. like my eyes are just squinty because I'm high. But I think I think people also overestimate how much of the pop like percentage of the population south is white people. Like there are lots of black people down there you know they're like no i hate i hate those racists too (laughs) yeah exactly well it's like we all have them i don't know like at least in the midwest uh we call it the deep north (laughs) (laughs) i mean i'm in missouri i've got nowhere to judge you know well you're you're still in the south bud (laughs) yeah (laughs) the south starts at uh indiana (laughs) (laughs) no but uh like uh I tell the story a lot. There was a probably like 20, I guess 17 now, 2018. Mm-hmm. There was a Nazi arrested building a compound near Escanaba where oh, geez. Uh, they, they, they published the Escanaba manifesto where they refused to comply with any COVID orders. Uh, there's a reservation like 30 feet away. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it's super close. It's not that close, but it's stupidly close. And it's like, yeah, huh? Thanks, oh, yeah. No, yeah, we 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 had the talks about border towns and stuff during the the Red Deal, and that that all jives. So, well, right, yeah, I think I, I've probably even mentioned this conversation in that mm-hmm. series. I've said it over and over again. It's one of those stories that you like, you know. It's an anecdotal piece of evidence worth noting. <laughs> how often white supremacists just are like, we almost already have an ethno state here, and it's like, yeah, uh huh. That's because the country was founded as an ethno state. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry to shake it to you to, to everyone who's in love with the establishment. It's it's not a good establishment. We love the American Revolution. Actually, <laughs> I have an American t-shirt. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> My Pat So Shark starts today. <laughs> I just have a t-shirt. This is I like naps. This that's not the same thing at all. No, no. Mine's mine's very chill. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, anyway, today's reading. Oh, mm-hmm. no. Oh, current events. Yeah. So I, I, I missed out on the, the celebration of, of ICWA standing. So um, I don't I, I don't know what, what current events we need to, to hit right now. Well, so, you know, further covering ICWA, there's been some controversy around a clarion uh, article that was kind of misrepresented mm-hmm. uh, it was poorly framed uh but you know we had a discussion and uh i'll be writing the official like critique of it uh which is me transcribing my narf interviews 
onto paper. So I'll be interviewing wow. NARF in regards to that decision um, next month. And then uh, other shit's happening. I forget what. Uh, <laughs> um, as yeah, as far as other current events, I do have my beat on some, but I I, I want to get the the ones on the oh. home front first, and I think you're well. Yeah, so there's a, there's a million things to celebrate today, right? Um, yeah. For, for one, uh, they discovered a hidden uh, Mayan city with a bunch of pyramids using uh, infrared sound, mm-hmm. or what? I, I don't know how it works. <laughs> it takes pictures of everything through the fucking organic material it's super cool um and then and i mean this is a huge complex too like uh, and it would have been around like 250 to 1000 ad so mm, okay um a little bit before classical period maya mm-hmm. um and then uh the blackfeet released uh, uh buffalo onto tribal land uh, to freely I, roam which i say that is that is that connected to or separate from the Yellowstone news? That's different. Yellowstone uh, is seeking co-stewardship over a herd with local tribes, which is like <laughs> St- still not handing it over. But <laughs> well, but okay. The thing is, the Yellowstone herd, I'm pretty sure, like, isn't normally there. Hmm. Like they got like transferred in from like the California herd that Feinstein's husband had or whatever. It's something like that. It's something super stupid. Wait, the Diane Feinstein's husband had? I feel like I missed a bit of it. Diane Feinstein's husband gave her a bunch of buffalo, I think. And that's oh why. God. Yeah, it's a weird story. Yeah. And for a reminder for folks who don't know, she's not just an old democratic uh congressperson she is part of the 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 reactionary democrat third way old guard um from california so mm-hmm. anyway um what else is going on <laughs> jerry bolsonaro is looking at uh, yeah moving to florida and doing real florida. estate sponsorship <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> the most yeah. the most reactionary thing i could imagine is is getting into real estate and <laughs> Just, I was just like, who? Who's like, yeah? Let's mm-hmm. let's hire your <laughs> Bolsonaro. <laughs> um, That's the spokesman. Yeah. On on the global front, there's a couple things I want to touch on. First, people need to keep their oh, eye right. on um, Hanipa virus. There was a what possible the fuck? Hanipa, uh, virus. Yeah, Hanipa virus, which which is a is another um, like coronavirus type disease um and there was possible transfer from animal to human um in southern asia near nepal um so keep an eye out for that because we know healthcare measures are bad and we don't need another simultaneous pandemic being ignored um but i haven't heard much beyond the possible human uh, animal to human transfer so that's good news because usually you would start hearing numbers popping up if it, it was a real problem but just keep your ear to the ground on that one um, the other thing, and I just, I just kind of want to touch on political because this is the kind of thing What's we would touch do? on. In, What's that? What does it do? The Wikipedia isn't telling me shit. From from Hanipa virus. Um, yeah, it, it's a another vascular, uh, yeah, vascular disease. Oh, okay, so, okay, yeah. Um, so would it affect you know um, your your vascular system, blood veins, everything like that? Okay. Um, mm-hmm. It's, well, just listed off the illnesses and symptoms you can get from it, and I was just like, "That mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to look at all those." And I just no, no. yeah, yeah. But like I said, you know, that's not. There's no confirmed cases. There's, there's just so just keep your ear to the ground on that one. But I'm not saying that that is a thing yet. Just be careful because we know how bad the reporting is going to be and how it's going to, you know, be called propaganda or whatever and all that shit because they don't exactly tell you when new COVID variants come out. Uh, I mean, like they, yeah, they. Uh, I don't know. It's yeah. Um, <laughs> and and much more in line with the traditional um, current events of, of Mark's madness. There was a hilarious little art um, last week where yeah, we should have saved this for last. There was one more thing on the home front. Oh, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so 
a leaked email just came out from the LAPD. Oh yes. Oh my God. I can't believe I forgot about that. So we're going to, we're just going to read it. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Good morning. All. I just wanted to let you know that the scheduled cleanup and sanitation, that's a houseless person sweep by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, clean up and sanitation. Yeah, they, they always use the very specific. I, I mean, it's it's along the lines of calling people like pests or cockroaches. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Language that was that my implication. Exterminate homeless people. Yeah. Even <laughs> the very term sweep, which unfortunately we have to use because that's what they officially call it. But right. even that term itself is inherently genocidal. So everyone will be arrested and all their belongings will be taken away by sanitation. I wanted to thank you all for being so patient with me. Please reach out with any questions or concerns. As always, do not approach these individuals experiencing homelessness. I want to make sure all are there at the encampment on the 29th so I can arrest them. This is a hush-hush task force. Thank you. Brittany Guterres, uh, badge number 41928. Mm, um, which she's, my understanding, she's very high up in the LA. Yeah, she's a senior lead officer. So yeah, I mean, yeah. So. You can complain, but um, that's, <laughs> that's, gonna, that's yeah. who you're complaining to, unless you actually get her like removed by, you know, mayor, city official types. Well, not like you'd almost need like city, like you would need like some sort of like judicial or legislative mm-hmm. oversight to take mm-hmm. it out. Which like, you know. God knows, you know, the, the government does not want on their police, especially well, not in the LAPD. Joe, Joe Arpaio, you know, ran concentration camps in the desert mm-hmm. and fucking the the NYPD is the NYPD. And, and it, given it does dwarf other police departments, it's like three times as big as the LAPD. But the NYPD is big enough to be the seventh largest military in the world. And what? just and if you split off their officers in schools, like just their their SROs, it is the sixth biggest police department. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. Adams just expanded it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was some discourse on Twitter <laughs> today. <laughs> oh God, about cops. Yeah, whether they could be leftists or not, and a lot of people's argument is even oh. if they think they are, is this being is this a cop of? pride because no cops at pride Def, you know oh, i i don't want to know what the conversation started at i just saw that and i went i know social media sp- sparked up because uh, sam smith posed with cops and and oh. obviously you know they're famous and queer and yeah it's like yes a famous and queer person will uphold the status quo yeah <laughs> Uh, the last thing I want to touch on, though, yeah. yeah. So it well, it it, it not fun because you know it's funny. Um, yeah, yeah. I meant the <laughs> yeah. It's 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 liberals showing their that. ass as they always do, kind of. And and again, they love to show their ass with official U.S. enemies, Russia in particular. You know, they used to be in love with Nalvani, and you want to talk about calling people cockroaches. He was one that wanted to genocide Muslims. He's a an actual. They they try to paint white supremacy on like. You know, the Chinese Communist Party was like Han supremacist and, and like Nalvani was actually a Rus supremacist and was like Putin's like eighth biggest political competition way behind the Communist Party. And he's supposed to be the big opposition. And, you know, that that's a little old news. He's he's not the flavor of the week anymore than Wang Guaido right now. Well, um, uh, we also had the fucking Wagner group. Mark. That's what I was touching on. Yeah. Oh, OK, so the whole time throughout this. Ukraine war, right? And mind you, the issue in Ukraine was that the far-right Nazis were waging a war in the Donbass against Russian speakers. Azov was heading that up, and there were Nazis heading up all of the major like right-wing political parties in Congress to the point where there are fascists all over Europe, and they, they head up the right-wing parties. They're in militaries, Russia included, Poland, all that. I mean, to the point where most former Soviet countries we can largely think of as just straight up fascist. Now we're, we're having the Gramsci discussion about like fascism versus hegemony and it being a, a stage in liberalism, but what people know is fascism, very, very far right. Right. And Ukraine stuck out. And that was even mainstream us media up until 
like 2021. Like, like you go to articles 2018, 2019, they're admitting this, even though the U.S. staged the the Euro Maiden coup and and you know it's in the U.S. interest, right? And so the whole time you point this out and you use the fact that U.S. is directly giving weapons to Azov specifically, which is the issue with Azov. Not that they're just some militia in the army, but that that the U.S. is specifically militia, giving weapons. The yeah. whole fucking branch. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. And they, and I mean, these are people that like their symbol is the wolf angels on top of the sun and rad. I mean, and they were specifically formed to, you know, in their eyes, like cleanse, ethnically cleanse the region of Russian speakers. Um, so this is not just a, a, Slavic hordes. Yeah. So this is not just like the U.S. military crawling with fascists or the Wagner group, you know, possibly having fascists high up there and, and crawling with them. This is like a, a group founded on fascists. It's a whole different character we're talking. And there's a whole different character throughout the country. And the the people that always love to the whole inherent reason they point at other countries is what they accuse of what about like, you know, you can't criticize the U.S. because communism is so bad. And yet you point out the U.S.'s ills are worse and they scream what about They were doing their routine of this, what they would call what about with a Wagner group for years. Right. Oh, there's one picture of one high up Wagner guy. Um, and supposedly is him with an SS tattoo. And I believe no, that. There, you know, I, I fully believe I, I, I get a lot of. Oh, there's probably tons of fascists. Yeah, there's probably tons of Nazis in the way. And I I fully believe Wagner group, you know, crawling with fascists, headed up with fascists, probably fascists, fine. But not the same character as Azov. And that was their thing. And there was very... Azov's like a state army. Yeah. (laughs) And according to them... Wagner's are mercenaries. Mercenaries, which is going to be crawling with fascists. And according to them, the existence of the Wagner group proved that Russia was the real Nazis. And it was the Wagner group that did this, the Wagner group. And you can find like a few pictures of like... You know, someone wearing the skull mask that fascists tend to and and then like the the one guy's tattoos. And that's that's all they have. But that was their big thing. The same people that thought the Wagner group were such big Nazis that Wagner group probably has much more media Mm -hmm. like training. Yes. Aware of what they're presenting. Yes. Yes. Or they're not just trying to get the Nazi ideology out. They're internally Nazis, but they're just trying to get the violence out like most mercenaries. Right. Like, Like, again, like like most of the U.S. military. Um. I would put Wagner Group's fascism probably along the lines of like people in the U.S. military, largely, you know, and and that's not a good thing. And that doesn't mean they're not fascist, but th- that's not the same character as Azov. This whole time they're running that argument. And then the second the Wagner Group is and there they were open about this, like this is their great excuse to oppose Russia and call Russia Nazis and say that the Z that Russia was doing is the same as a swastika was the Wagner Group exists. And they always point to the Wagner Group. Yeah, but the Z isn't even the Wagner Group. That's yeah, no. Communist. <laughs> right. But. They the second they do that, the second the Wagner group turns around and and is ready to stage a coup, all of a sudden they're a good guy and they're cheering for him. Like they're openly not principled. They're openly cheering on fascism. They don't. The reason those those arguments aren't winning um, when you're pointing. I mean, they're, they're largely running to neutral people. and People are starting to oppose the Ukraine war. But um, the reason it's not winning against these hardcore liberals. Right. Um, against the ones that will tell you that that how much Biden has accomplished and how dare you, you know, praise Putin or whatever is not because you're not convincing them that Ukraine's Nazis because they're happy to cheer for it against Russia, that they don't fucking care. And they showed that when they were cheering on the Wagner group and right at the, the front. Like, well, I, I mean, like the, it stopped immediately. It did. It did. And you could see that reporting there, like Alina Lip, who is a reporter from germany and i would put her kind of in the category of like when syria was going on i would you know you want to keep an eye on like eva barlett and vanessa Beely, and they were very close friends with each other and did great reporting on syria you take them out of syria and they're very different people like vanessa uh um Beely is you know digs in with conspiracy theories and be anti-vax and might as well be jimmy Dore the reporter whereas eva bartlett is a very principled independent reporter right but in Syria, during the time of Syria, they're very accurate. I don't know the character of Alina Lip beyond her reporting on Ukraine, but she's always been a good, honest, independent reporter along the lines of those two in Ukraine um, back when the Donbass was being shelled and she got banned from Germany. She'd be arrested if she went back there and had her assets seized since a year before the Russian invasion because she was accurately reporting on the Donbass and the fact that Germany was helping the U.S. weaponize the Azov. And so she's as a good reporter. 
Esha from historically is actually mm-hmm. Maripol, right? Well, it was in Maripol. I don't know if she still is. I would hope you left before you posted. That. <laughs> yeah. But uh, like showed a torture room in mm-hmm. the Maripol airport that Jeez. the Ukraine military was running. Yeah, and that's and that's consistent. Like Russia is kidnapping these people, and they'll point out their like Nazi swastika tattoos all over their prisoners of war, but they're not torturing them. And then Ukraine captures Russians and tortures them, right? That's that's consistent. Um, but anyway, Lena Lip, like right from the jump, was like, "Yeah, Wagner Group's you know thinking about a coup, but I get here and like the they're talking to people and they're talking about a misunderstanding, and it seems like." It seems like nothing from the get go. And of course, everybody was kind of full of shit, you know, as as you expect. Right. Putin was on his high horse and he actually is in spite of how the liberals blow up him being full of shit as something very different. He is full of shit. And he was like, uh, the people that are uprising will be you know, prosecuted to the fullest extent and seen as traitors. And it, it just fizzled out and he just moved a couple guys around command and, and gave up because it, he talks tough, but he's not. You know, that tough. And the U.S. was, of course, full of shit and, and cheerleading a, a, a coup of a country that they're wanting to undermine because this whole thing was about toppling Russia and more importantly, um, taking control of Russia's um, energy exports and taking control of everything in Ukraine um, from the food exports to the state, you know, energy well, industries, they, they all of it. Huge. So, I mean, a lot of U.S. economic policy is centered around uh, food export to make mm-hmm. other people depend mm-hmm. on us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Ukraine the is one, one of the biggest wheat producers in the world. Mm-hmm. The so two like, biggest were Russia and Ukraine. And so yeah. you get a war between them and you can try well, to top then, them both. You control all the food. I would assume the U.S. or China are probably the next, you know, mm-hmm. just because of land that's capable of producing that much wheat, you know? Yeah. And this and Russian energy are two of the reasons, you know, I mean, people, people for a long time have thought it'd be good to get off the U S dollar. And every time they have, you know, someone's kind of gotten toppled and it's, it's, or, or cooed and it's fallen apart. But the reason it's threatening now is because China, India are the number one wheat producer. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, then comes Russia and then comes Russia, and then Ukraine's probably right behind that. Um, No, United States, then France, Canada, and then Ukraine. Okay. So, Um, I mean, still pretty, pretty high up there. Well, you have, Um, and the U S has control outside of China, really of, of a lot of those other countries. For sure. I mean, Canada and France, for sure. India Mm -hmm. is, Playing ball, I would mm-hmm. say they're capable of being mm-hmm. independent, but they choose not to be. Yeah, and but but this but war is a. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, but it's like that could change. Yeah, but this war has exposed a lot of that, right? Like after the pandemic, with all the food dependency and energy dependency on Ukraine and especially Russia of a lot of the world. And the U.S. sanctions coming out. There's been a long time. A lot of the countries in the world would love to break off the U.S. dollar, would love to not be independent and have to go to the U.S. But a lot of their leaders were getting cooed for people that were very pro-West or pro-capitalist or they were very pro-West, pro-capitalist. And it's 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 getting to the point where it's clear it's not just communists that the U.S. is going to screw over. Saudis and China. Mm -hmm. India, too. Was that the third group? I'm, I was trying to remember who met at the triangle table. Oh, um, I don't remember. Hold on. A second. I don't remember either. But was it Iran? I don't want to think. I don't think it was Iran, was it? No. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I, I, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and China did meet together, but and and did did no, start. But they uh, there was an agreement made between the three countries that met that they were going to do dealings with each other. Yeah, oh, was Russia? Maybe it was Russia. That was, I think, that was Russia, Saudi Arabia, and China. Yeah, and um, then uh, Laos, Cambodia, mm-hmm. and Vietnam just agreed mm-hmm. similarly. Yeah, and, then, and oh, I'm imagining the uh, rest of the BRICS alliance is in a similar case mm-hmm. uh, as and, de-dollarization popularizes. Mm-hmm. And it's not like there wasn't a structure of this before. You know, you had the first world, second world, third world, and Mao's definition, right, with the non-aligned movement. But a lot of that non-aligned movement was not only, you know, sympathetic to the West or really trying to not, um, you know, pick a side, um, but very easily a lot of those got, you know, toppled and and, and turned very pro-Western. Well, now it's getting to the point where, like, it doesn't matter how anti-communist you are, how pro-capitalist you are, you know, the U.S. is coming after you if you stand in the way of their resources. 
And that's becoming clearer while all of a sudden COVID put economies in a bind. Um, China is rising, um, kind of replace, you know, take the place that the, the Soviet Union used to have as the alternative to the U.S. And, and and maybe probably is even stronger on that front. Way stronger because yeah. it, it's forced the West to be dependent on them. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm-hmm. and if you, if you hit, hit them, you topple your own economy. It's like, yeah, and and so then you you burn the bridges with uh, the energy and food dependency. These countries can't just bow to the U.S. anymore because it was bow to the U.S. or starve. Even if the other side gave you a better deal, now it's bow to the U.S. and starve. They can't do that, and so that's really sped up a lot of this de-dollarization. And so you're going to see quite a bit of de-dollarization panic probably coming up and you're probably going to see a lot of i mean we're already seeing it right (laughs) yeah and you're going to probably see a lot of trying to escalate this war away from a proxy war more to something directly attacking russia um because expansion into china or expansion into china depending on how the next presidential election goes yeah um because I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the the fight on China is very bipartisan, and you've seen like you know Biden and Blinken and Pelosi do everything they can to try to stir up some war surrounding by surrounding Taiwan. But the U.S. is is very afraid to take that last step and spark that war because the U.S. like the debt crisis is a bunch of bullshit. But what would bring a debt crisis in the U.S. is bonds being pulled out by other countries and China's probably the the biggest domino to drop there and so they get china to pull out their bonds from the u.s treasury system and the whole country goes to shit and the right wing the the republicans are probably fanatical enough to do that (laughs) so anyway lastly we have a supreme court decision that kind of overshadows the win with iqua right and uh that is, the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of the state of Texas that they do not have to provide, uh, well, the federal government does not have to provide water for the Navajo Nation. Um, and so we have our first steps towards a water war. Um, theoretically, this is going to be ripe grounds for organizing in the Southwest, not only native people but white people too are very sympathetic to the natives and i mean the water used to flow when we were in charge maybe 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 we should listen to us i don't know um (laughs) there's a bunch of different fucked up shit that goes on down in the southwest but you know uh i think there's a lot of potential if the communists in this country could get their heads out of their asses and focus on a region instead of trying to do the entire nation all at once with zero base. That's so smart. Anyway, that's just my opinion. But yeah, that, that all got set up by the equal ruling, which was basically like, it's a state's rights issue. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, we'll begin reading. Yeah. Um, so we are on page 65 of the reader. We're, we're going down to one concise reader, as I am assume was announced in the last episode, but I wasn't here for that. I don't know if we announced it, but okay. we're, yeah, we're using one reader now. One consistent reader is everything bunched together. So this is starting on, on page 65 of the reader, which is um, page 29 of this the Gramsci writings it's ripped from. It's part one, Socialism and Marxism. We don't even know what one it's ripped from. So <laughs> we're the, the, okay. the worst 60, people to be reading this to you. Yeah. <laughs> page page sixty five of the reader: Socialism, Marxism, nineteen seventeen to nineteen eighteen. Which, if you don't know, something important happened in nineteen seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> something, something happened. So, when Gramsci joined the Italian Socialist Party (PSI) in nineteen thirteen, it was divided like other European social democratic parties, into a reformist right and a revolutionary left. The reformist envisaged a legal transition to socialism through parliamentary majorities and reforms, trade union gains, extension of the cooperative movement, and occupancy of the local state. 
From the turn of the century, they had supported the group of parliamentary liberals around Giovanni Giolitti. <laughs> Sorry, that's such a Italian name. Prime Minister for most of the decade before the First World War. And parentheses. A central plank of whose political strategy had been the formation of an alliance between political strategy. Wait, wait between representatives of North Italian skilled labor and Northern capital. This alliance rested in concessions to the moderate ring of the labor movement, including social reforms together with the continuing economic and political subjugation of the underdeveloped South to the industrialized North, the left known in Italy as maximalists from their support of the party's maximum quote-unquote, revolutionary program was more heterogeneous was a more heterogeneous set of fractions. <laughs> during, the af- during and after the First World War, they held the PSI leadership, quote, formally separate from the parliamentary party, end quote, and controlled its newspaper, Avanti, which Prez told us what it meant last episode. I can't remember. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't remember. I don't speak Italian. I can check. They, but they did not believe in a parliamentary road to socialism, although most of them were prepared to use parliament as a platform for revolutionary propaganda. They adopted a position of intransigence, intransigence refusal to participate in coalition governments with bourgeois parties, were fiercely anti geolotic Geolithian fuck <laughs> and attack the reformists for their collaborationism. I knew that word. Fuck. There you go. Uh, Avanti is uh, to move forward or to take a step forward. There we go. Forward. To progress. Uh, take over. I'll take over. Uh, yep. Gramsci's political sympathies with Sardinia, economically part of the South, and his experience of Turin's unique concentration of heavy industry and its well-organized and combative labor movement made him highly critical of reformism, whose leadership was mainly northern middle class and whose typical power bases were among the skilled craft workers of Milan and the cooperative movement of central Italy. But though he was squarely on the intransigent intransigent revolutionary left of the party and worked on the local page on Avanti, he did not share either anarchist, anarchist, anarchistic rebelliousness for the economic catastrophism, which were typical hallmarks of maximalism. I like how I, I can pronounce the Italian words fine, but I can't pronounce the hard words in English. Uh, <laughs> good job, David. Um, Rather, he absorbed a heterogeneous culture, strongly anti-positivist, in which elements of idealism and volunteerism, uh, Croce, Sorel, Bergson, were mixed with elements of Marxism. Wait, wait, did you say Croce? Is that not the name? Oh, we don't know. (laughs) It's been, sorry, we've been saying various versions, but that's a new one. (laughs) That's what it looks like it's pronounced like to be. I don't know. Well, Sorel and Bergson are obviously right. It's a French person, I think. So, like, I think it's like crochet or like crochet. I don't know. Oh, okay. So, I don't know. So, I just (laughs) croquet. I just, I just pronounced it hick like, like, (laughs) crochet. What about crochet? (laughs) <laughs> what about that crossy boy uh, so anyway, he was concerned as one of his university teachers was so I imagined the crossy boy being Jesus <laughs> he is from yeah that crossy boy where, where the church comes from in Rome um, he's that guy who's on that Turin blanket <laughs> yeah, we're talking about Turin All yeah right. we are talking about Turin so yeah um as one of his university teachers was later to recall, and with how thinking makes one act and how and why one can act with ideas, how ideas become practical forces. Um, that's cited from Fiori, 1973, I guess 93 must be the page, or 1970, 93, I read that wrong. Uh, the outbreak of revolution in Russia in February 1917 had a galvanizing effect on Gramsci's thinking. Already in April, he was writing that the revolution must naturally lead to a socialist regime. 
Um, and that's from SPW uh, one page 28. That must be some classification of the prison notebooks. Maybe like, uh, yeah, I think, I think we were told by Prez that that's just another way to say prison notebooks. Yeah. Okay, rather than PN, SPW, like something prison writings, probably. Okay. Well, something prison writings. Well, I don't think the S stands for something. I just meant something like some word that starts with S, but that did work Okay, out. okay. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, no, you can't, honestly. You know? <laughs> I don't actually literally mean the word something. <laughs> and when the Bolsheviks, to whom he referred initially as maximalist, took power in November, he wrote of the revolution against Karl Marx's capital seeing it as a revolution in defiance of orthodox predictions and consequently against the positivistic incrustations of the second international orthodoxy, which had turned Marxism into a gradual unfolding of impersonal economic laws. So it's kind of funny because he called it anti-Marxist or revolution against Marx's capital, but it really seems to be a revolution against Bernstein's ideas as well as the automatic predictions of it rising in, in more industrialized Germany. Uh, which is is accurate it's it's just kind of funny how that reads uh well i think a big part of it is like um there's a stagism presented in capital mm-hmm. that gramsci yes. is defined like a lot of gramsci's work lays the foundations for anti-colonialism's critiques mm-hmm. uh, especially like you know bringing up the, the third worldism like a lot of it derives from these conversations within the common turn right like uh mm-hmm. For a long period of time before Gramsci goes to prison, he's actually in Russia as the delegate to the Comintern for Italy. Um, and though he never meets like anybody like Stalin or Lenin, he did write with them while there. Um, so, like, it, it's just kind of fascinating to um, hear his insights as like, you know, um, an important figure that's kind of overlooked. Right. Well, it, it, it's also kind of amazing because we can update and, and you know, because the some of the international stuff is, has changed. We've talked about, you know, um, um, neocolonialism um, when uh, uh, I have suddenly lost track of Ghana. Nkrumah, thank you. Holy yeah. cow. Um, we read Neocolonialism by Nkrumah. Um, you know, some of the character of that stuff has, has, has grown a little bit, not breaking it away from Marxism. Um, like, you know, contextualizes it, but contextualizes it. Yeah. It's, it's not a revision, but it is an update. Um, but also, um, you know, it's, it's incredible how you go back and decolonialism was such a beginning factor in, in the early Marxist revolutionaries in, in Russia and Europe. Um, it just, it's so obvious. It's yeah. It's incredibly obvious. They just maybe didn't always apply it to the other. They didn't didn't say it's decolonization, but like, they called it the national question and things like that. Yeah. Like, okay. It lay <laughs> the foundations of what we call decolonization mm. today. Liberals co-opt words all the time. Mm-hmm. We defined capital. They changed it. Yeah. That's what yeah. happens. You mm-hmm. have to continuously fight that. It's the longest fucking battle. <laughs> when he wrote the critique of political political economy, what did they do? They separated it into economics and political politics. Science. Yep, yep. So it's like use your fucking heads. I don't know. Like it, it, you can't read like like we were saying. You can't take a Sardinian from nineteen, you know, twenty. Mm-hmm. And plop them into our modern circumstances. Yeah, and the same thing. You to be able you, to just read it and reapply it. Yeah, and then the same thing with a, a German from 1870 or a Russian from 1917. You can't do that, but it is important for those readings because there's a lot of foundational thought that we can apply today. You right. just can't. You can't like just paint by numbers, right? It takes thought and application. Um. The revolution was vindicated for Gramsci a more authentic Marxism, one which was about the collective popular will. In R. Marx in 1918, he characterizes Marxism as being neither about the force of ideas in themselves nor about an impersonal and mechanical fatalism of economic development. It has to do rather with people becoming conscious of objective reality and with ideas finding the instrument 
of their realization in the material forces of production and a disciplined working class movement. It is about revolutionary action, not about what he calls alluding to the vision of socialism typically projected in the propaganda of reformists, cordial fraternity and tender declarations of respect and love. Which, you know, I think is like a lot of people's criticisms of like intersectionality, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of that's removed from the historical context of what it's supposed to mean. And once again, you have this liberal co-option of a truly revolutionary theory, which is, this is a tale as old as time. I mean, when we look at the Bible today, you can mm-hmm. honestly say it's a similar thing that happened, that there was probably more revolutionary texts that got co-opted by the Roman state and has oh, just continued absolutely. on. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, again, I've... I've been Catholic my whole life. I can tell you all the rules they have that make no damn sense if you look at the pre nineteen church. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, you could you could just do the no women priest thing. You know how many women were doing communion <laughs> after the teachings of Jesus uh, in underground Rome? They and they were hailed as saints. They're martyrs. You, you think prostitutes weren't a big fan of that Jesus guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the one that drew the line in the sand, the one that 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 took Mary Magdalene in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I mean, early women's rights activists. Let's yeah, be honest. Exactly. Exactly. Well, because like the theory, you know, it was time for the theology talk, right? <laughs> uh, but like the, I've always heard ministers. There, there's a common question. Like, there's mm-hmm. some like icebreakers you ask ministers. It's a weird world to know sorry it sounded it was much more casual when i started talking and then i was like oh wait (laughs) (laughs) but uh, this icebreaker is you know if you could ask god anything when you die what would it be you know and it's like oh wow what a casual icebreaker yeah that's a big (laughs) one but um you know uh, my grandpa would always say he was a minister he'd always say what did you draw what did you write in the sand because it's oh. always intrigued him. Like, yeah. Because, like, you know, uh, he thinks he started writing their sins. You know, that's and then he gets up and he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. There there are other people that think that that story was uh, apocryphal and later added by church leaders. Um, I don't know if I subscribe to that because there's a lot of texts that didn't make it into the Bible. What I think very much yeah, was... Fun was that that was inserted into the gospel later, um, but it was from another writing of Jesus's life. And so it really happened as far as, right. you know, assuming Jesus's life happened, assuming the truth of that. Well, um, and it, like a lot of these gospels are the repeat story from mm-hmm. each person's point of view. And yeah, like, uh, I think there's even like a, a, a book of Magdalene, like Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know. It'd be fascinating to like, read all of them of course yeah but that all comes from constantine constantine you know taking the church within the the, you know it it was obviously a very revolutionary concept in the church people kept popping out as martyrs and it was you know blessed are the poor blessed are the meek you know love your neighbor reject worldly wealth and he was never the the teachings were never anti-revolutionary it's like uh there was there was simon the the not simon the zealot john the zealot um was never asked to not be a zealot Right. They were they, they abandoned their fishing posts and he was never asked not to be a zealot. He just said, live by the sword, die by the sword. Like, yeah, go ahead. Be a revolutionary. That's good. I'm going to stop you from fishing, collecting wealth, but be a revolutionary. But also like God comes first, you know, I'm being Jesus. Right. So so much as you believe in that um, and you, you know, that, that it's not anti-revolutionary and that's kind of scary for the Romans. And. So, you know, they take that in. They have the big Council of Nicaea. They strip out a lot of that stuff. They make it very formalized, um, even more misogynistic than some of the heads of the, the church that existed there. And well, he was yada, a Palestinian yada, yada. man resisting Roman imperialism. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like he was he turned over, you know, the change tables or whatever in the fucking temple. <laughs> yes. Like that's going to piss some people off. <laughs> It's yep. gonna piss some people. You just ruined our grift, man. Yeah, but that's also where I get, and I get this as a Catholic too. A lot of the the the, the Protestants that'll that'll think Catholicism isn't a Christianity. There's a lot of modern Christians that very much believe that. Well, that's all just fucking. It's just a straightforward white supremacy. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's Lutheranship. Oh, the that's Catholic fuck- isn't Christian. Yeah, that all stems. I've actually never heard that from yeah, Lutheranism. It all, no, it all stems from that. There's oh, it's fucking wild. Oh, reading about the early printing press is so fun. 
<laughs> I was I was gonna say because there's a lot of um um Christians that that I can't think of the word um the the for the basically the holy land that God promised um but no 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 um I, it's a word everybody knows but no one thinks providence. of it and and it's uh providence like the 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 U.S. is providence and that it's a big driver of white supremacy and Christianity is a belief in white supremacy to these to people and belief in the American project. So, you know, that's, that's very, very common. Right. And people like that aren't going to give a shit about the money changers table because that has nothing to do with the American project. If anything, it's just, you know, proof that it's okay to do it. Sometimes you just have to do it better. (laughs) Um, So anyway, theology aside, back to the reading. These early writings are in many ways remarkable for the clarity with which they are. A doombrate? What the a, what the fuck is that word? A doombrate? Represent a report in an outline. Yeah, they, I, I got to give a sketchy outline. So there you go. Okay. Outline. Just say outline. Yeah. Wow, dude. Jesus. Make your theory accessible. <laughs> the outline themes of great. Why would you? You're just doing that to seem smart. That's purely that. <laughs> that like, oh, I'm breaking out the thesaurus. So anyway, they, they outline themes of Gramsci's later work. Three arguments in particular stand out. The first is the moral argument about discipline as a means towards self-advancement and collective liberation. Um, we went over an index last episode that you should listen to. Okay. I, 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 do need to catch up on that. So, so see discipline in that index. A characteristically, characteristically Gramscian emphasis, which will recur in later discussions of the need for members of a revolutionary movement. Sorry, man, my my eyes jumped up to seeing like Gramscian, and I was like, that's not a word. <laughs> So anyway, uh, self-advancement and collective uh, emphasis, which will occur later in discussion of the need for members of a revolutionary movement to overcome both passivity uh, or inertia and parentheses and individual rebelliousness. Secondly, secondly, sorry, second, uh, there is the opposition to any mechanical or economistic interpretation of the base superstructure paradigm. In other words, to an interpretation which reduces the complex political and ideological spheres to an underlying economic foundation. That's when you ignore the questions of colony, gender, and race as you analyze class. As we're using the the Gramsci term, so not class reductionist, but economist. Yeah. Economism. Um, by the way, that discipline that looks like the next section, and I did look down. There's another utopia section. So th- this is oh, nice, the, nice, the, nice. the further sections here. Yeah. No, you should still listen to the glossary. <laughs> it's from the end of the book. Prez put it in the front so p- people wouldn't be confused. But attacking the view that the Bolshevik Revolution had forced a radical political solution on economically immature conditions, he writes here parentheses. How does it parentheses in parentheses? I don't well, remember how to say it correctly. He writes here, and then it's that it's in parentheses. There's a reference to utopia. I think that's also just like the C discipline. It's C utopia, which is yeah, I know. But like, I'm I can't remember how you're supposed to read it all oh, of a sudden. I, but <laughs> as long as people understand, the point is that the listeners are getting the the reading. Right. Uh, it is not the economic structure base which directly determines political activity but rather the way in which that structure and the so-called laws which govern its development are interpreted events depend on the wills of a great many people and on the knowledge of minor a minority possesses concerning those wills wait did i skip something no no that makes sense events depend on the wills of a great many people i just don't remember secondly oh I guess I remember now. Oh, there's there's some. Yeah. yeah. Thirdly, there's a view of the state which avoids class instrumentalism, i.e. Gramsci does not reduce the state to the expression or instrument of an already unified social class. He sees the mature bourgeois state rather as an arena in which con- 
conflicts between competing fractions factions of the bourgeois are regulated and the dominance of one fraction over the other is secured uh which is see class intransigence and italian history no i I think that's a there's a lot i'm gonna i'm sorry we're we're probably gonna have to stop after this paragraph and section just from time but there's a lot i'm gonna want to tap into because this is this is ripe (laughs) this is very very good um well i mean a lot of what we're seeing like you know there's a repeat in conversations going on you know because people refuse to do the reading right that's the whole reason like sure. this podcast I feel exists. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's why I got involved. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that you, you already have quite the catalog, you know, <laughs> got a few years on the project going. Um, but like uh, he, he's from Southern Italy. Right. So he has a very, you know, um, direct understanding of those material conditions, whereas like the majority of communists are organizing in the like labor centers in the north. Yeah, you know, so he comes in with this unique perspective to offer, um, I guess, a synthesis of, um, I want to say a synthesis. That's not really the right word, but the interrelations of class and these other political yeah exactly uh, relations yeah which like at the time people were ignoring like they do now because Mm -hmm. of certain economic factors in uh italy changing Mm -hmm. um due to what's it called the unification i forget what it's actually called we went over the name last episode i think yeah but it, it reminds me a lot of of fanon um during you know algeria's national struggle and talking about um the disconnected labor in the cities um versus the revolutionaries in the countryside right right and uh yeah the peasantry being Mm -hmm. you know the most immediately ready to become a revolutionary force um which a lot of people misread as the farmers and yeah (laughs) maybe maybe if it was a peasant farmer but we now have bourgeois farmer mm-hmm. well at least petite mm-hmm. bourgeois but like you could make a ton of money farming i i mean i've been looking at this because oh. you know what a great way to fund yourself growing your own food and then selling leftovers you know mm-hmm. like, yeah and there there are some small farmers that just work for themselves but they have a lot of land but there's a lot yeah. of quote unquote small farmers and farmers that not only have big machinery to do tons of work and own tons of land, but some of right. them are big enough. They're they're hiring migrant workers. Those are the revolutionaries that that depend the migrant workers. Yeah, the migrant worker. That's yeah. you know the farm workers, right? That's that's the revolutionaries more akin, you know, to to the peasantry, not not the people who own the big farms. Like it's one thing if like you're the one doing all the farming, you know you're still petit bourgeois you're just selling your labor to yourself yeah yeah it's not a super point you're a chump yeah it's not a super lucrative petty bourgeois and you definitely do own land which is super valuable but you're not you're not one of the big exploitative farmers you know it's the most of the farmers you could yeah i mean you could be like ripping people off at the market you know Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that happens, but like most of the, the farmers that you think of today are, are more along the lines of like a kulak than a peasant. Exactly. But, you know, yeah. Well, and that's, what's interesting about the Patsos is they would call themselves Mecca tankies, which was a reference to the tractors, farmers ride. It's like, you're a kulak. You're calling yourself a kulak communist. And they have to know that. There's no way they don't realize that. They they have to realize a lot of things that they're brushing aside. They're, they're reactionaries. Right, exactly. So anyway, continuing on, where were we? We were on Moreover, yeah. he avoids a static characterization of the state in general, end quote, and deals with the peculiarities and recent transformations of the Italian state in particular. He stresses its antiquated character in relation to the modern bourgeois state, a reflection of the immaturity of Italian capitalism, 
of the persistence of pre-capitalist economic forms and the quasi-colonial subjugation of the south of Italy to northern capital. The task of the socialists, Gramsci argues, should not be to seek the perpetuate seek to perpetuate this bourgeois form of state as the reformists parentheses collaborationists and parentheses were doing. Rather, the state needed to be replaced by a socialist state whose role would be limited to that of organizing production and exchange. Yep. Now I really hate to, to leave us like, woo, we did two pages. But <laughs> to be fair, we had a 30 minute we had section. Yeah, we had yeah, we had 30 minute intro and and this is two pages, really more like three. And and this is really again, there's there's some lines that I just really want people to keep, you know, in their heads, right? Like there's a view of state which avoids class instrumentalism. Now, I don't think people should like dismiss state and rev. State and rev is still foundational. I think people should take this against state and rev and realize that they're not actually in conflict with each other, um, but they're looking at different states and different scenarios, and 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 one's building up what the state is broadly, and the other one's hashing that out in detail so it's not oversimplified, right? But the state as, you know, um, not just one faction dominating another, but all of the different factions of the bourgeoisie resolving their conflicts amongst each other, and that way it's resolved amongst each other, and they aren't toppled. You know, well, that, right. doesn't mean, that doesn't mean it doesn't come with cops in a state of force and it's not designed for the bourgeoisie against you. It doesn't strip those truths out like it could read to someone being undisciplined. It comes with both those truths. And that's why, like, Republicans and Democrats would go after each other in the ways they do that are sometimes even, you know, ostensibly anti-state. Well, yeah, it's about, like, the inner conflicts of class, you know, and we have many examples throughout history after state and revolution comes out like fascism where sometimes parts of the ruling class might be repressed by other parts and it's you know it's not yeah like those people are potentially allies if you want them to be i guess but <laughs> no. you know they they were just trying to kill you with the fascists before the fascists tried to kill you. So yeah, use your head a little. I yeah, like yeah. Well, and and again, you know, and that's why you can't do a zero sum like enemy of my enemy all the time, right? That's right. a very strategic stance, and sometimes it just doesn't apply wholesale, even when the strategy seems right, because that enemy of your enemy is too damn dangerous. Um, we'll be continuing on page sixty-seven. Uh, next week with uh, the discipline, the, <laughs> the section discipline, sorry, <laughs> we'll be starting off next episode with some mop and spankings. No, but we're, uh, you know, we're Mark's Madness. We read books. We'd like to thank you all for listening and uh, hanging in there while we fuck up many words in Italian and English alike. Um, David's back. I'm back. Sorry about that. Did you want to finish your thought? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I don't remember what you were saying. So. <laughs> no, I was saying like like in the competing faction. So enemy of my enemy isn't necessarily, you know, my friend, that's a very dangerous thought at times, right? But that's, the, you get that's kind of oversimplified analysis, I think often intentionally by people. Right. So like if the far right is, you know, going on saying the Ukraine war is bad and Ukrainians are Nazis, then if you say that, too, you must be aligned with the far right. They did that shit with Syria, too. Not that the right even cares about the war. <laughs> They'll gladly they gladly perpetuate it as soon as they're in power. They're just using it as a rhetorical dig. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's an intelligent move. The issue mm -hmm. is, it's like um, us uh, Marxists shouldn't lie. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's the candor that earns our respect amongst the people. Yes. the correctness without lying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's and that's how you build. And you build it. With, yeah, there's there's the only way because again, we're, we've talked about this, right? Mo, um, uh, war of maneuver versus war of position. You know, um, the only way you build on a war of position is you build trust, and you build trust by doing the things you should be encouraged to do if you're a principled Marxist, anyway. Well, that's that's how you build a stable. You yeah, because you can build it by lying. The issue is it's going to affect the project. 
Yeah, yeah. You you build a stable project by building by building genuine trust by being trustworthy, right? Um, so you know you should want to already help your neighbor and organize for your neighbor's needs and support your community and make sure people are fed and clothed and things like that. That builds trust. You should want to tell the truth politically and honestly educate people so that they understand if you believe in this ideology, then you believe that people should be educated to it so they can believe in it too. You should be honest from the jump, right? It's exactly. Just be honest. Now that doesn't mean like, don't think about your audience, you know, and like if I think, you know, Putin's a dick bag, I'm not going to lead with that as a disclaimer every time because I understand the effect that has on a conversation. If I'm illuminating against a lie. Like uh, if I was talking to a Democrat, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be like, look, I hate Putin, too. And like I wouldn't start there because first off, they're going to think you're they're, they're immediately going to break trust and think you don't hate Putin, too, because in their mind, you're defending him and going to bat with him. But second off, you're feeding that he's bad thing, you know, so you should know your audience. But you should know your audience and be truly honest, you know, focus on the things you're being honest about and focus on how they're true and evidence based and obvious. Thank you all for listening. As we were saying before David got back, I guess that's the end of the episode. And uh, we we have already said several things about where we ended and where we'll be picking up. But reminder, page 67, we made it through two pages today. Bubbing classic Mark's madness. <laughs> classic Mark's madness. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> in a more formal way, um, plugs aside, and Shimani too will get to that in a second. This has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. Um, I already said that. Oh, damn. I missed out on everything. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know what to do <laughs> while you're gone. And I was, no, uh... that was that was good. No, I I, I was parenting. That happens. It's, it's it's complex. I was I was resolving the conflict between my children, like the state. Um. <laughs> so we have class antagonism. That's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> You're the bourgeoisie in this situation. You're <laughs> they take out a guillotine and try to kill their sibling. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway. Um, yeah. So if you hated this episode and want to complain about how long we did uh, current events and want us to do, you know, a current event show and just. Get it off the feed. If you want to talk about current events, do it on a different feed. I don't know if anybody's saying that, but uh, we do and are working on the new news show show. Part of that is paying artists for the art because I'm not using AI. (laughs) So. You get a Patreon and help us get that show going as well as get Prez a new mic. You always can't see a lot of the nodding I'm doing, but I did a big nod with the no AI. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, you just got to kind of picture that David's nodding his head whenever you also agree with me. Just project it onto David. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, but Mark's Madness Pod at gmail.com or chunkaluta1973 at gmail.com. If you want to complain, um, if you want to, I don't know, offer tips and tricks, corrections, (laughs) things like that, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you want to chat. Maybe that's not the best place to do it. Instead, I'd suggest going to the Twitter, which is at Mark's Madness Pod, or you can go to Chunkaluta1973, and you can... Um, ask about the official Mark's Madness Discord, which is totally free. And if you're a cool person who's helping pay for artists <laughs> and new microphones, then you can access the unofficial server, which is the official Chunkaluta server. It's a terrible sale. Anyway, <laughs> you also get a bunch of free content. Well, extra content i should say in like early drafts of stuff i'm writing um though i've been really bad this summer just because of how much shit i'm doing uh there yeah i don't know there's a bunch of stuff always uh we're raising money for sundance and various supplies and like 
infrastructure, so to say, like we're going to be planting some trees while we're out there that are good for permaculture fuel sources and then um, perennial plants that are just good food stuff, a bunch of different stuff like that. Uh, you know, whatever. Um, you know, it's a long and boring list of stuff to support, and I should make a long and boring post listing all the stuff on the Patreon and make it public or something soon. Uh, but million reasons to support us. Um, bunch of content coming down the pipeline. Um, this pipeline isn't filled with oil, though. Besides the oil to grease the machine of revolution. Uh, that would corny. Really corny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm I'm running out of steam here. <laughs> All right. Well, that, Is that everything? Did that's everything. everything. I'm 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 cutting off the, the oil skinning. <laughs> this has been Mark Madness Pod. We read books. My name's David. I'm Shimali too. <laughs> we will talk to you next week. Bye.